I remembered what I forgot. <laughs> can't oh, no, wait. I forgot. <laughs> no, you can't forget it again. No. No. <laughs> Welcome to Improv Interviews with Margot Escott, a psychotherapist in Naples, Florida, who is using her 35 years of experience to develop improvisation programs, benefiting and improving the lives of those with emotional and physical challenges. Improv Interviews brings together the world's leading improvisational theater masters, founders, and innovators who are using improvisation therapeutically in unique and surprising ways. With great guests that include legends like Ed Asner and Aretha Sills, you're sure to learn something new about improvisation. This is Improv Interviews with your host, Margot Escott. Well, hi, Will. Hi, Margo. It's so nice to be seeing you. And of course, everybody out there in podcast land will be hearing you. And um, I've known you at least 11 years. That's the first time I went to, or 10 or 11 years, first time I Mm -hmm. went to the Sarasota Improv Festival. Yes. Yeah. It's been... uh... It's been so nice to like uh, be alongside you as your your podcast has developed, and like I, I mean, I listen almost every week, and if you know, and I oh yeah, I, I listen to almost every single episode, uh, and I, I'm so happy to be back, and so I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's such a it's such an awesome gift to the improv world. Thank you so much. I never know if anybody's listening to it. So I'm really happy right now. So um, I, I got to do a shout out about this incredible birthday present, birthday celebration that you gifted <laughs> to the rest of the world, Dancing with Beautiful Maria. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's on Facebook and I, it must be all over the world by now. But it was the most romantic, beautiful dance I'd ever seen. It was- oh, I I appreciate that, Mar. You know, the, the, I, I there's a little bit of a backstory to that, if I may, just for like a, a, a about a minute here. So, uh, we our birthdays are very close to one another. Mine is January third, hers is January fifteenth. And uh, when we first moved to Sarasota, we decided it was the first time that we decided to celebrate our birthdays together. We didn't know what to do for our joint birthday, but we both we figured out that we were both turning seventy seven together. Our, our joint birthday was 77. So we decided to get a Star Wars cake as our 77th birthday. And that kicked off a series of themed birthdays because when we turned 79, we had a disco party. When we turned 81, we had a roller rink party. When we turned 83, we had an arcade party. And again, all of this is themed by years. When we turned 85, we had a Back to the Future party. And then this year, again, it was uh, COVID kind of changed everything. But we coincidentally were taking ballroom dancing classes. So we had a Dirty Dancing uh, a celebration. So so that's, that's the story behind it. And we had a great time. Well, it was perfect. It was Thank beautiful. You. I think I almost cried at one point. Oh, thank because you so my much. husband would never take dance classes, probably. No, it was just so beautiful and so real. So I hope everybody takes a look at it. So um, we did a scene together recently. Yes. And um, I know you're kind of what I would like to call the improviser's improviser mm. because you've been a while, a, a lot, you've been around a while. Um, yeah. And you are internationally known. Uh, and teach all over the world, and but you're a great improviser, but you're also a great dancer, 
And (laughs) you're also certified as a CrossFit person right now. So you've got all (laughs) these things about you that are just marvelous. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I I try to be a a student, uh, a a constant student. And uh, and CrossFit is something that came into my life about six years ago. It It kept me physically healthy and I had the opportunity to kind of take that to be a coach. And it's funny, my improv teaching, it's worked both ways. CrossFit influenced my improv teaching. And now my improv teaching is influencing my CrossFit coaching. Uh, so it's, it's been a, a really wonderful a synchronicity. Oh, tell us more. Sure, yeah. So I, the one thing I like about, about uh, what, there's many things I like about CrossFit. One of the things is that you're, it's, it's one of the most supportive like sort of fitness systems. It's uh, you never, you don't get, you, there's an understood rule that you don't leave the gym until the last person finished their workout. So you support them, support them, no matter how, even you might be the healthiest and strongest in the room and another person might be a pure beginner. You still have to stay there and support them until they are done with their workout. So that's number one. Number two is that every workout could be scaled uh, for any body type. So no one is excluded. You might be like, uh, and like some of my students now in CrossFit, you might be 75, 76 with mobility issues, or you might be 21 with all of this energy, right? Or you might be a 30 year old that has been working out for a decade. All, everybody could work out together. And as a coach, I need to find a way to make everybody work together. And that very much taps into my improv brain where I, you know, when I, when I'm coaching a class, I got to find a way to get different people to play together. Uh, And another thing that CrossFit does very well is that it builds skills very carefully in a one hour class. You start with sort of general warmups and then you go into more specialized warmups and then you go into like the, the main lesson. And I, and that made me relook at my whole curriculum and build it in a very similar way where every warmup, every, uh, every discussion in a class has intention and it all is building up to a very specific, a goal for that, for that week. So yeah, they both, both, they've now influenced each other and I'm, it's been, it's been a good thing in my life. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And how many, are you teaching a bunch of classes right now? You've been teaching during the pandemic? Uh, uh, teaching uh, improv or, or, or CrossFit? Improv. Improv. Oh, wow. improv. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, so I've been, yeah. Uh, CrossFit wise has, has kept me pretty busy. I've uh, almost immediately after the lockdown, maybe a couple of weeks. I, it, I mean, I'll be honest. It, there were a couple of weeks of me sleeping in late and just not knowing what the, what the heck was going to happen with my career, right? Uh, but then I got a, I got some prodding and pushing and requests from different people that were interested in taking improv classes. So that kind of got me started. And then since then, I would say since late March, early April, I have been teaching three to four, sometimes as many as eight classes a week. Wow. Uh, and that has, been, that has been nonstop. I mean, I think the only little break I got might have been the Christmas week, uh, and and uh, and that's only because my my students were were asking for the time off. If not, I was ready to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> that is great. I know I recently signed up for maybe a drop in class. I think um, yeah. I'm not sure, but it's going to be so much fun to play with you. Um, yeah. So we we were talking a few weeks ago about your roots and growing up on the south side of Chicago and growing up in a different kind of neighborhood, Hispanic neighborhood, where mm-hmm. um, a lot of improvisers didn't come from back in the day. And, and, and about your experiences growing up in that kind of neighborhood, 
what you were exposed to, and then getting into improv, how that impacted you. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for asking about that, Margo, because that is something that is uh, very important to me as as an improviser. I um, So, yes, I grew up on the south side of Chicago. Uh, and I mean, my uh, up until the age of 18. And I, I, I will say that I was... Uh, uh, I was very privileged to go some, to some really, uh, I went to some private schools and get and got scholarships to a really prestigious high school. And I feel very lucky to have gone through that. But even then, uh, because of the neighborhood that I was in, uh, I never got, I, I was never exposed uh, to improv. I was never exposed to the improv world. Uh, and a lot of times I hear people on, on you know, Chicagoans on podcasts talk about that, uh, and I, I uh, like, you know, we'll say things along the lines of like, you know, I, I grew up in Chicago and every weekend or every month or every few weeks we would go to see Second City or IO. And that was never even something that was on my on my radar. And it wasn't until after I moved from Chicago, when I moved to uh, uh, I moved to Boston, that I started to do uh, that I started to do improv. And it was then that I learned, hey, uh, Chicago is the Mecca, is the contemporary center of all things improv. And I was like, what? Like, how did I, how did I miss this? Like, how did I grow up in this city and never know this? Uh, and then I would, every summer during college, when I would go back home, I would, I would, and this was back, I think, when all of the theaters were a bit more lax on their rules, because all I would do is I would go back home and I would take classes. And I would go to IO, I would go to Second City or The Annoyance, I'd just take classes uh, and, and kind of work my way through the programs and all of that. And, and I came to realize, I'm like, wow, these theaters were a 35 minute train ride away from where I, I lived, uh, you know, maybe four miles, if that, from where I lived, but never heard of them. And as much as I enjoyed my improv time going up to those different theaters, it then sort of got ingrained in me that that I, I it became a mission for me to bring improv to these neighborhoods, whether it was in Chicago or elsewhere. How can I bring this art form, which was becoming an amazing like release for me, and and I'll, not only a release, but it helped me find myself. How can I bring it to other neighborhoods? Because I'll be honest, like I kept thinking, I'm like, what other will right or you know, any what other ethnic youth or or uh, lower class youth are not being reached right now, and so that kind of told me, well, one of your missions is to start to do outreach wherever you are. As soon as I, I took a lot of that, my a lot of that philosophy to Boston, where I started to realize, you know what, it's not just about bringing people to your theater, but it's also about your theater going out to the different communities and bringing this art form. And then now in Sarasota, I very much do the same thing. I will go out to the different communities and, and, and bring what we do to them. And all of that came from the fact that I grew up in Chicago and for 18 years of my life, never even heard about improv. <laughs> you did hear about acting and what, were you in the Wizard of Oz? What was it you were in? <laughs> I was in the Wiz, I was in the Wiz, yes. Close, yes, same story. Uh, but yes, I was in the Wiz, and that, that's kind of what kickstarted my 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 theater uh, my theater uh, career, I guess. I, uh, I I I got to I got to do that in, in high school, and, and I got the bug, as I think many of us do. Uh, and then I, I took that 
I, I carried that all the way to college. And uh, uh, and I don't know if you know this, but I was I did not go to college as a theater major at all. I I went as a physics computer science major. That was my thing. I still to this day love the sciences. So I went to school uh, as a physics computer science major. But I think like most of us, we needed that outlet. And I, I didn't know how to, how to uh, uh, audition for plays. Uh, so the, the one time that I saw a flyer that just said, no experience necessary, no monologue necessary. Uh, and I was like, that's what I'm gonna audition for. <laughs> little, little did I know that it was an improv show and that just started it, that, that, that started it for me. That's, and that was in Chicago. Oh no, that was in Boston. In Boston. Boston. Okay, that was yeah. in Boston. And yeah. then you were, weren't you the head of a improv theater in Boston? I was, yeah. So for uh, after I after I, I graduated from uh, uh, from Boston College, I joined Improv Boston as a as a performer, and then eventually became the artistic director of Improv Boston. Uh, and I was the artistic director for about twelve years. Wow, that's a long time. And certainly, just as in Sarasota or Naples, Florida, Boston certainly has its share of communities that are not able to access the kinds of things we've been able to access. But mm -hmm. going back there um, to your youth and when you first started getting into improv, because it was back in your day so long ago, um, but it was primarily Caucasian, white male. Yeah. Of course, there were, I was going to say Susan Messing and some great females. Sure. Jay Moore's, but mm -hmm. it was a pretty male dominated thing and white male. And so, and I think, you know, people are becoming more aware today, I think, but there's a subtle kind of racism that people don't even realize they're being racist. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 it, and it is very subtle. And, and that's why, like, I could never, uh, you know, I, I try to handle these situations with, with a lot of grace because we, we don't even know that, that, that these systems are in place, but I'll, I'll, I often give the example of, you know, when I, when I first started to step into improvisation and get a bit more accepted as a performer and a director, as I started to get more accepted into these in, in different improv groups and as my career started to develop, I started to realize that there was a huge uh, blind spot in my comedic vocabulary. Uh, and uh, I started to realize like, oh, wow, no, I never watched, uh, uh, I, I, I had no idea what Monty Python was, right? For example, all right, or some of these other, like you know, uh, or, or some some of the generations of of Saturday Night Live, for example, were completely foreign to me. Some of the comics, and I didn't, I I, I had no access to that comedy, but a lot of my peers were referring to, to that, right? Uh, so. Um, my 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 frame of reference was in living color was the thing I grew up in with like that was you know I loved in living color all of my 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 comedy came from that or my my what I knew as as my humor came from that not my comedy but my sense of humor was very much developed by that uh, and so when when I got to when I started to get integrated with with other improvisers I realized oh wow we're both speaking different languages and I think this is a trap that happens a lot especially. Uh, you know, a generation, a couple of generations ago with, with BIPOC performers like myself is that I then tried to change who I was, right? And I would start to watch Monty Python. I would start to watch Kids in the Hall, et cetera, really try to, and, and really, really try to, try to develop my, that, that sense of my, of, of humor. 
I came to love a lot of stuff. I'm not going to take anything away from Monty Python or Kids in the Hall or the state or anything like that. I came to love so much of it. In fact, one of my favorite shows came out of that research, Mr. Show, Mr. Show with, with, with Bob Odenkirk and David Cross. Oh, I love it. Yes. Uh, like all of that came from that exploration. However, there was still a part of me that was still like, you know, uh, that it's still in that in that in living color and early Chris Rock and David Townsend and all and Richard Pryor and, and stuff like that. And that's where I was at. Uh, you know, Cheech Marin, right, and, uh, and 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 other comics. And so, instead of what I learned is that, Will, you don't need to give up yourself. What you just need to do is find a way to share yourself and integrate that with others. And so that's what I learned. And that ultimately is also what inspired me as a director and as an artistic director is that, hey, you know what? You could bring your thing. I could bring my thing. You, this other person could bring their own thing. We all could bring it and we could all have fun together, uh, which is ultimately what led to the idea of freeform, uh, that, 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 which is what I practice. And freeform is all about all ideas are equal, right? Mm-hmm. It, it just, just, bring it, just bring it to the potluck. Potluck of improv and comedy. Just bring it to the table and we're all going to share. That's beautiful. You know, I was talking to somebody that was saying that um, they started an improv. Uh, they went with some friends to a club and I guess they somebody was doing improv, but the, the director or the coach was inviting anybody to come on stage. He didn't care if they knew how to do improv or not. And I thought, <laughs> wow, yeah. that's brilliant. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about freeform. If people don't quite know what that means. Sure. Yeah. So freeform is another thing that that developed. Uh, it came out of my. Um, so the genesis of it, and I'll never forget it because it was it happened while I was still in school, and uh, when I was in college, and the initial thought of it emerged before I could even put words to it. Like I didn't even know what my brain was doing at the time, but. I was the director of my improv group in college. Uh, we were doing these sort of long form murder mysteries. We didn't call it long form. We didn't know what it was. We were just doing these long form murder mysteries, right? But we would always warm up with these short form games. And so they kind of existed on these two different parallels. And my brain was always thinking like, wow, you know, we love doing these long form musicals. We love doing these improv games. Why aren't we connecting them in some way. And so I'm sitting in a, in a class, a physics class in college where the teacher is talking about, uh, it's a, the class was called mechanics, right? And it probably one of the most dense classes I've ever taken. It, uh, and, oh yeah, I mean, I, it, I mean I'm, I'm so glad to, to have moved on beyond that, but I, I'll never forget that, that class because he was talking about like how the physics, like planetary interstellar, like uh, large system physics, right? When you're dealing with stars and planets and finding the parallels between that and atomic or quantum physics, right? So something really big and something really small and finding how these two systems, well, how are they different, but how are they the same? And I remember just sitting in that class and that's kind of what sort of started the, the, the thought process for me is like, Okay, how is long form and short form similar? What are the similarities there? And how could we bridge the gap? And, and mind you, I had no idea. I, I was in, in my mind, I wasn't either using the words long form and short form because those weren't part of my vocabulary. But I was just thinking, I'm like, how, how do these two things 
connect. That was the start of Freeform. My, my idea was how do I connect these two things? And as I expanded my improv vocabulary, as I took classes with Upright Citizens Brigade, Second City, Annoyance, Chief Johnstone, uh, I took classes with like uh, students from Viola Spolin, et cetera, or from the school of Viola Spolin. Uh, all of these different schools of thought, I'm like, I gotta find a way to bring, I gotta find just the way my physics class was trying to connect these two different systems. I wanna find a way to get all of these systems working together. And that was that's that's what the start of Freeform was, was just trying to get everybody, making a space for everybody to come together. Eventually Freeform became, over time I should say, Freeform as, as embracing that philosophy eventually started to become its own playing style. And if you watch it now, uh, you'll, you'll start to see like this very fast, playful style that at any moment could go short form, long form, musical, dramatic, narrative, storytelling, maybe stand up, I don't know. It could go anywhere, right? But it, it's always out of a space of non-judgment. We cannot judge each other for the choices that we make. And there's also one other rule I have. No show could ever be the same as any other show. And I tell that my to my performers, you cannot, if we did something in one show that really worked, that's awesome, throw it away, because we cannot do that again. And so, uh, so that's my other strict rule. So I, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. I love that. I just think yeah. that's marvelous, really. So um, did you ever think you wanted to be a stand-up comedian? A lot of improvisers think they want to do that. Was that ever in your universe, in your planetary system? <laughs> it was actually, and it went, and, it, and I did pursue it, uh, but uh, COVID kind of put a, put this a stop on it, but I, uh, uh, it wasn't until maybe uh, at this point now a year and a half ago where one of my my interns, uh, my apprentice here at Florida Studio Theater, she said, "Hey, I think I'm going to do stand up," and she said it, and I was like, "Okay, I'm going to do it too." And we were, re- <laughs> we're, we're, we're we were really good friends, and we're still really good friends. Uh, but the fact that she said it, I was like, "I'm going to do it," but uh, I'm going to put a challenge to myself. I am going to create. Uh, by going to open mics, just going out five minutes at a time, I'm going to create a unique one-hour set, five minutes at a time. So every time I go up, I need to create an original five minutes. So that was my my challenge to myself. Uh, and I got up to about 40 or 45 minutes before the lockdown happened. And so that's kind of where I'm stuck right now. Uh, but yes, uh, I, I, I love it. I, I actually... I have not been that nervous in so long. Like uh-huh. getting off track, uh-huh. put together a stand-up set. I'll never forget my first one. I was literally shaking. Like I was, I was so scared, but it was great. I loved it. Now, were you writing these? Because I thought most stand-up comics wrote everything and kind of went from there. How did you, what was your uh, plan? Yes, yeah, I did. I did. I didn't write it out, but I did have an outline. Okay. So I kind of just uh, when I went out, whenever I would go up on stage, I would have an outline of the jokes that I want, and I, I knew them well enough that I could just fill them out. Uh, but yes, yeah, so that, that that's what I would do. So um, I all I know about joke telling is the the rule of three. Yeah. But, uh... <laughs> yeah, the, the, the rule of three is always a good one to go to. I I tend to like what I started to learn was, uh, uh, I mean, there would be jokes that I would prepare ahead of time. Uh, I also, t- I also like to mix in storytelling, yes. so like just like my own, like sort of, Hey, this is what happened to me. 
this is a true story. And then for every single five minute set, I would try to do something topical. Like I would look at my, the last thing I would put in my outline, I would look in the newspaper or the or website that day and try to find something that I could just put in something topical to put in my set. Wow. I wish I had heard you. That's great. You're going to be back, <laughs> right? I'll and be doing it again. Yes. That is, that is so brave. And that is so courageous. I think it's wonderful. I had another question about the stand-up, but I forgot, but no um, you, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, so yeah, stand-up. Hmm. So <clears throat> I want to talk a little bit about BIPOC, mm-hmm. uh, BIPOC, Puck, because I saw you on a panel a few months ago, and that got me so interested in people mm-hmm. all over the world um, that are from different cultures, different, I mean, you could say different cultures and include everybody in that, and it's, it's about inclusiveness. Tell me about your adventures in BIPOC and what you do there. Um, sure. Maybe we'll throw in Stephanie Ray, too. Yeah, I hope so, yeah, because she, she's wonderful. I, I uh, And I, I met, uh, I I met Stephanie briefly, I think, at a at a festival. We briefly crossed paths. Uh, but now we've been interacting a lot more virtually. Uh, one of the things that's brought us together is the Wednesday Forum, the weekly Wednesday Forum through Socially Distant Improv uh, called uh, Anti-Racism for Comedy Folks, uh, which has been a, a wonderful forum for a bunch of uh, BIPOC performers from around the country. And uh a lot of them are really good friends of mine uh, that have been that have been a part of the panel, and then over time it's grown to include a much larger community. But I do feel like it has served multiple purposes for us. I think at first it was a place where we all got we were all heard for the first time, where we all got to share these experiences that we had been facing for years. And we knew that we had a receptive audience because everybody else had experienced them. And a lot of them, some were overt, overt actions by owners or managers. Some were a bit less, a bit more subtle, but they were there. And we all got a chance to share with them. Uh, Over time, while we still do that a lot, uh, because it's very much necessary to kind of get our stories out there, we've also started to, to share strategies on how to address this in our respective communities. Uh, I myself have learned quite a bit, you know, from the the uh, the, the wealth of knowledge that uh, John Gabbertatios brings uh, to uh, just the uh, this the intelligence on how to address and directness, right? That that Michelle Gilliam brings, all right, or the 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 fearlessness that Stephanie Ray brings. Like all of these people bring different things to the table. That I myself, I mean, I again, I've been doing this for close to twenty seven years. But I'm I'm learning, and I'm like, okay, that that's great. That that's a really good way to address issues of diversity and inclusion in, in my community. So so it's 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 been a wonderful gift. That is fantastic, and I'm sure you bring a lot to that table as well. And I've visited that panel. I've seen the panel a couple of times. So it's it's really inspiring, and uh, I just love it. I I remembered what I forgot. <laughs> Can't oh, no, wait. I forgot. It. No, you can't forget it again. No, no. <laughs> oh, I know what it was. I know it was, it was about storytelling. Have yeah. you ever thought about maybe sending some samples into Moth? Oh uh, yes, yeah. I would. I would really consider. Uh, you know, I have not looked at how to do that. Actually, I I've done uh, storytelling through uh, 
uh, through Kevin Allison's podcast Rift. Uh, but I would I would love to send things in the mall. I, I mean, I have tons of t- tons of stories that 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 I I would love to share. So yeah, oh definitely, I'll, I'll look into that. Yeah, really, I think it's pretty easy. They describe what to do. I don't think okay. It, you know, I mean, you've got a lot on your plate, but you could put more things. Oh, on that, that'd be like, great. Like the game of hamburger, you know. Um, put more things on it. So um, I I really love the idea of going into the community and reaching people who could really use improv for many, many reasons. Mm. Um, One of the gifts I think you've described that you've gotten out of improv has been Mm self-awareness, learning that you could just be yourself. You didn't have to try to be anything else because Mm. I imagine at some points early on, you might've been typecast. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I and and uh, and that, that was that was big for me. I mean, I I um, I was typecast, and I I would accept it, and that that was that. That's a strange thing, right? When you're when you're younger and more naive, is that you'd be you you would take the you would get typecast and, and accept it. I, I I was I'm very grateful for a director of mine in college, who we did we did a. Uh, a production of the Agatha Christie book, uh, show, a book, which we can, we, we then turned into a script of 10 little Indians. And he made me the, the lead of that show. And so, so I was the, the, the male lead of that show. And I, I, I mean, I know that many folks can't see me, but I, I, I don't I don't fit that traditional mold. I mean, for a couple of different reasons. I I mean, I'm not. Uh, uh, I I think back then, especially early '90s, uh, people. I had much more. I had, a, I had a few castmates that were very handsome white men, right? And not only that, like, like also, you know, that that six foot, six foot two stature. I'm five foot two. <laughs> I do not. I do not fall in that uh, romantic lead demographic. But he took that risk, and my 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 uh, the female lead uh, was about five inches taller than me, kind of like my wife is now. But like, uh, but she. Uh, and so it was a very non-traditional role casting, but it was great because it kind of told me it's like, oh wow, okay, I don't need. I don't need to, 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 to always fall into the traditional stereotypical roles. I could play outside of this. That was a very monumental moment for me. And and I'll be honest, like Margot, that's why I love improv because and I, I know there's a lot of theory around the type of characters you can play, right? And there's a lot of discussion around this, especially right now. But one of the things I love about it is that I I, I can play outside of myself if I play it with integrity, right? I somebody could look at me, and they don't need to just cast me as a Mexican American five two male, right? They could cast in whatever way they want, as as long as it plays, it comes from a place of integrity. Absolutely, that is that's a beautiful story about that professor, that drama teacher. What mm-hmm. a Beautiful story that is. I just love it. When I talk about improv to people, and you know, talking people have no idea what it is. Um, mm. I talk about you know the cognitive benefits 
And I think that your theater is also, you taught, um, you helped Jade Angelica learn improv, mm -hmm. right? You're her teacher and she's carrying yep. on with work with Alzheimer's and mm -hmm. care partners. And, uh, and you're very into the applied improv as well, I think, aren't mm -hmm. you? The other uses we can find for it. I am, yeah. I'm very much uh, a believer in that that in the benefits of improv off stage. And whenever I teach improv, even if it is to comedians and actors, I'll constantly discuss like, okay, this is how this applies to uh, how this could benefit you in other ways, All right? And so, uh, uh, and, and in fact, all of my curriculums, all of, uh, so I have a, a what essentially breaks down to a forty-eight week curriculum that I. The core of it is, you know, how to benefit comedians and actors. Like that's the biggest part of it. But I've distilled each one to also be, we take this 48 week curriculum and here's how it is applied improv. Like let's take away the acting part of it and let's just raise the other parts of it so that we could, uh, you know, use it as, a, as, as applied improv. And then I take that and I could also raise it and distill it to see how it applies to company or corporate culture. Right. And so uh, and it's all for me, it's all part of my same of my same philosophy. So, yeah, I think one of the most brilliant things, too, for me personally, I love working with kids and I saw Dina Kreese and yes, I forgot if Mike was with her or not. No, I think it was another player from Improv Boston working mm -hmm. uh, with kids about bullying, using improv for bullying, because that's such a horrible problem. I mean, mm -hmm. we've had it on a national level now for quite a yeah. while. Um, but there's so many applications. So another thing I, I mentioned when I talk about improv is that there's cognitive, there's emotional, there's movement, there's a spiritual component. And I, I, mm -hmm. I have a feeling you're a pretty spiritual guy, Will. <laughs> uh, I, I am pretty spiritual. I mean, I, I um, uh, and, and I would say that my moral compass was set uh, by, um, by the fact that I was brought up uh, Catholic. And I say that because it was, a, I, I'm no longer uh, a practicing Catholic, but that's where you know, we, I think we all get our moral compass calibrated from something in our lives, right? Whether it's Harry Potter, the Catholic church, Judaism, whatever, right? Or however that moral compass is set, it gets set. Mine got set by Catholicism. Uh, and I, I very much carry that forward and and, uh, and even as a physics major, I've always, uh, even as a physics major, I carried forward the idea that that the universe expresses itself and connects with you in, and, and works through you in a very specific way. And notice I'll use the word universe because that's still how very, very much where my spirituality lies is that we're all part of this larger being that is, that is known as the universe. Uh, and for me, improvisation has become now my way to practice my morals and my core values, right? Now, even though they were originally set by Catholicism, they are now in practice through improvisation. Uh, you know, the idea of, uh, and, and this also goes back to what I was saying earlier about CrossFit. Like the, the CrossFit has also become a way for me to practice my morals and my core values. And both improv and CrossFit, the idea of, uh, and, and Catholicism, uh, the idea of helping the least amongst us, right, is important, right? For me, uh, for Catholicism, I will always 
if I see somebody who is suffering, if I see somebody who needs a little bit of help, I will go out of my way. If I'm in a CrossFit class, teaching a CrossFit class, if there is a student that, that needs help because they have mobility issues or anxiety, I'm going to help them get through that workout because I want to make sure that they finish it with everybody else. If it's in an improv class and it's somebody who is just having a little bit of problem, a little, bit, a little, pro, a little problem maybe uh, either uh, setting, the, setting the scene up or supporting the scene, I'm going to help them succeed. So again, in that way, the, my moral compass was set early, but it's, and even though I've left that, the, that system of belief behind those values and uh, 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 those values and morals that are continue to be uh, practiced through these other things. Absolutely. Somebody once said to me that religion is how you set your table. Spirituality is how you eat your food. Oh, I love it. A lot of people think when you say spiritual, they think religion right away. And it's such a different concept. I mean, yeah. we've been so influenced by Eastern thought and meditation. Mm -hmm. Catholics have as well, Thomas Merton and people like that. And um, I see you, I, I feel a light from you, even though we're a few miles away. And <laughs> that you have that radiance of a really kind, gentle person. And who knows that life can be painful but you don't have to suffer. Yes, that, great. That, 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 that was very well put. Thank you, Margo. <laughs> You're welcome. Well, listen, I just love talking with you and, and we're gonna do it again, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, and um, uh, we're gonna be uh, putting this podcast out with the links and I'm hoping people will sign up and take classes with you and other teachers at FST and yeah. uh, improv classes. And uh, anything you'd like to say, because we've gone through such a period of change. I can't believe yeah. it's almost March again. I mean, right. it's such a year. Um, and I think being inclusive, really believing that Black lives do matter and all mm -hmm. lives matter. Um, mm -hmm. Do you have a message at all you want to get out about those things and your, and your, your objectives for this next year coming sure. up? Yeah, so I mean, I, as you know, uh, like I said, I keep saying that I was a, a physics major. And one, one of the things that that I came out of that, if I were to, if I were to tie all of like these ideas together, uh, is the idea of the, like potential energy was always a big thing for me in physics, like how the smallest atom, right, that has so much energy, uh, this microscopic, sub-microscopic, thing has so much energy and so that speaks for me like the idea of pure potential is so important uh and and i just that's all i see in everybody and i i want to and when i teach my teachers and my students and my actors is that i just try to guide them to see the pure potential in every other individual uh if i have somebody in my class their pure potential might not be to be a comedian on my improv team or a teacher or director there, your potential might be something else entirely, but it is my job as an instructor and as a teacher and as a mentor to guide them to that space. And I just hope that any, any, anyone who's in a position of power, right, uh, and, and that if you're running a theater, if you're running a class, if you're running a cast, uh, that I hope you, you really take the moment to see everybody's pure potential uh, and help guide them and mentor them there. Because I think that is a sign of a true leader. And that is 
if you want to find that the most diverse community uh, possible, and, and I'm talking diverse in all ways, not just not just color and race, but age and abilities, right? And and identity, uh, I, 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 and 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 culture and social class, et cetera. The only way we could see that is by really trying to see the pure potential of every person and guiding them towards that. Uh, and so, so that, that is my, my hope for every leader. And, and if anybody needs help with that, I'm more than happy to kind of guide them through that. Uh, so that, that is my, my hope. That's beautiful and very generous. Well, Will Lur, it's been a wonderful time talking with you tonight, speaking with you, you tonight. And I know we're going to do this again before <laughs> too long. Now that I found the person who's listening to my podcast, I got. Oh, uh, yes, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you just spread joy wherever you go, and you're so fun mm -hmm. to play with. So I, I just want to thank you so much. Yeah. And say good night and good day. And um, thank you so much for being here with me. Thank you so much. Thank you, Margo. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and look forward to you joining us next time on Improv Interviews with Margot Escott.